Hey, good morning. How are we all? Good, good, good. Uh, just a quick heads up before we continue our series, Doubters Anonymous. Quick heads up, in two Sundays' time, uh, we're going to be drilling down into what the future looks for Elevate Church. Uh, if you're not already aware, Elevate Church, we are six months and one day old today. So we're barely out of the womb and uh, got a very, very long and bright future ahead. I like to say the best is yet to come. And uh, this is the foundation that God's building on. In two weeks' time, we're going to do a just spend a morning, push pause on all of teaching series and so on, and do a, a spend a morning uh, what, what we're calling the future uncovered. And it's really just going to be looking out to the horizon. What, is the, what does the next 12 months look like for us so that we can individually and corporately chart our course strategically and intentionally and really pursue all that God has for us? Uh, it, it's, um, it includes our AGM, but uh, for any of you that have ever been to a church AGM, uh, you will know that this will not look and feel and scratch and smell like a church AGM. If I had to go to a church AM, AGM in two weeks' time, you might as well just shoot me now. So instead of being all business and boring and vote and committee and you know all the other stuff that uh, can kind of graft into that, we're going to be about vision. We're going to be about what, celebrating what God's already done and about looking ahead to, to the future and, uh, and, and filling our hearts full of faith about that. So be here. I know you will. Hey, in, if any of you are at home midweek, um, 5.30, sitting in front of the television, and I really hope that's not what you're doing at 5.30 because there's a lot of better things to do. But if you are, you will have the opportunity among the growing list of television channels to uh, watch the program The Hot Seat with Eddie McGuire, a.k.a. Eddie Everywhere. And uh, I thought we might just start this morning by just playing one quick round of Hot Seat. So, I'm Eddie, and you're not, for the purpose of this illustration. So here's a question. In the Hot Seat, you're in the Hot Seat, Here's a question. Question, which of these Olympic sports is the odd one out? Is it A, basketball, B, hockey, C, baseball, or D, gymnastics? If... Oh, okay. Scotty Wheeler wants to lock in. Scotty Wheeler, you are indeed correct. The correct answer is D. Gymnastics is the odd one out. Why, you ask? It's all about the scoring. See, I'm a pretty binary guy. And uh, the first three of those sports, basketball, hockey, and baseball employ a very simple scoring system. Your job is to score more whatevers than the opposition. If it's basketball, you, you have to score more points. If it's hockey, more goals. And if it's baseball, more home runs. And quite simply, when the, when the buzzer runs down to zero, if you've got more than the opposition, you win. It's, it's, it's all decided. It's straightforward. Here's your medal. Nick off. I love that. That just appeals to my binary way of thinking. Gymnastics. 
on the other hand, have a very different scoring system. Let me explain. Gymnastics, in fact, gymnastics have two big categories. The D score, I know some of you know this already, the D score as well as the E score. Okay? Starting with the D score, which actually stands for the difficulty score, there's actually three subcategories in the difficulty score. There is the difficulty value, or the DV, the composition requirements, or the CR, and the connection value. Yes, you guessed it, the CV. The difficulty value is the value of the eight highest value elements of the routine, including the dismount, and they are all added together. The composition requirements, gymnasts must demonstrate skills from five required element groups on each apparatus. A gymnast may use skills to fulfill the DV and the CR simultaneously. That brings me to the connection value, the CV. The one you've all been waiting for. Additional points are given for the connections of two or more elements of specific value. Okay. Now that we're all clear about the D-score, let me tell you about the E-score. Who would like to know how the E-score works? Now you understand why I don't watch gymnastics at the Olympics. Who can understand any of that? The reason I put that illustration out is faith is a lot more like gymnastics than it is basketball. It's a lot more complex. And, and complex not in the sense of, of having to overcomplicate things, but complex in the sense of faith is not binary. You, you can't ask me and I can't ask you, do you have faith? And, and, and the correct answer be yes or no. Because Paul, the way he described it, is that there's actual different measures of faith. It's not a simple yes or no answer. There's different measures of faith. And not only are there different measures of faith, there's different measures of faith for different people. So you probably know, know people in your world, or you've read books about them, or you've heard messages from them, or whatever it happens to be. You know people that you've come across them in your life, and you would categorize them as having a, 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 a greater measure of faith than you, right? So that there are different people can have a different measure of faith. And by the way, your measure of faith can actually go up and down. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But not only do different people have a different measure of faith, and this is where it just starts to get a bit more of a, a matrix kind of approach, but we ourselves, with different facets of our lives, can have different measures of faith within, each, within different aspects. You know, you might be someone who has an incredible amount of faith in your financial world, but you have a much lower level of faith when it comes to your health. Or you might have an absolute cinch of a time trusting God for great health, but have very poor and low measure of faith when it comes to your relationships. Do you see how this works? It's all faith, but when we start to apply our faith and benchmark it against different people and also look at it in the different spheres of our world, it starts to get a little bit, little bit more like gymnastics than basketball. It's a little bit complicated, but... 
the most important thing, when we look at our faith on a macro level, which is just to say your sort of cumulative measure of faith, and also on a micro level, is to continue to build our faith, continue to, to say, God, I need you to strengthen my faith. Give me a greater measure of faith in each of these areas. And that's why uh, last month we spent six weeks looking at miracles. This was all about building our faith. This four weeks, our current conversation is all about doubters anonymous, doubt versus faith. How can our faith grow and our doubts shrink? Next conversation in a few weeks' time, we're going to be looking at the story of Jonah. Great story of disobedience, doubt, faith, obedience, all kind of packaged together. But this morning, thinking about faith and thinking about faith, us us having a measure of faith and either a, a cumulative measure of faith as well as different measure of faith for different aspects of our lives. I want to look at how a couple of really great principles of how we can build our faith. But before we get to those, it's important to understand there's also some things that we can allow to happen in our lives that erode our faith. See, while, while you're building something on the one hand, if it's eroding when you've got your back turned, the water level doesn't go up, right? So we need to identify what are some faith eroders. Now, those of you taking uh, notes electronically, you'll soon find the spell check will come up that the word eroders is not actually a word. But for the purpose of this morning... We're inventing a word. Who makes these rules anyway? Faith eroders. One faith eroder is that God doesn't do what we would do. And when God doesn't do what we would do, when he doesn't do the things that we want him to do the way we want him to do it, that can actually erode our faith. The important lesson, however in this, is to make sure that we don't pray in line with our personal preferences, but instead we pray in line with God's promises. I'm going to say that again. This will be one of the most important things you'll ever learn in your entire life. And, and it's not just because I'm saying it, it's because it's, this is a vital, vital. It is vital to pray not in line with our preferences, but in line with God's promises. Let me give you an example. This week, during the week, Louis and I were sitting at home one evening having dinner. And, uh, and uh, I didn't do something that Louis wanted me to do. And uh, Louis's not shy about pointing these things out when they happen. So Louis starts getting in my grill and telling me off for not doing a certain thing. And uh, I, at that particular moment in time, it, it, having no one else to defend me, I chose to defend myself. I said, sweetheart, the thing that you're asking me to do now that I didn't do before, I never promised that I would do that. So you can't actually bust my chops for not doing something that I didn't actually promise to do in the first place. Do you understand that? Now, now, now she found that answer infuriating. I, yeah, big surprise, right? But, but put ourselves in, in this context. You're Louis and God's me in this kind of dynamic, Okay where we get in God's face and we say, having prayed a prayer that that lines up with our personal preferences, that God didn't answer, 
The only answer that he has to give us is, buddy, I never promised that in the first place. So don't get all upset at me for not delivering on something I didn't promise. Now, we'll get infuriated by that because we like God to do the things that we want him to do. God's much more palatable if he's a puppet on a string, but he's not. And so we need to make sure instead of praying in line with our preferences, we need to pray in line with God's promises. And, 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 and the answer is not to do, like I grew up in the Catholic Church. In the Catholic Church, you got taught to pray, God, if it be your will, and then you fill in the blank. That's not praying in line with God's promises. Praying in line with God's promises is finding out what God actually promised and calling him on it. See, broadly speaking, there's two types of prayer. There's prayers of petition, which is asking God for stuff. And there's prayers of declaration, which is reminding God of stuff he's already promised. Now, statistically, people have gone through the Bible and discovered that prayers of declaration are answered far more often than prayers of petition. Okay, those of you that are in statistics, note that. Prayers of, prayers of declaration of reminding God to do stuff he's already promised to do are answered far more often than prayers of petition, which maybe sometimes aren't things that God actually promised. That's a bit of a no-brainer, right? If we say, God, you say in your word that you will not give your son a snake when he asks for, for, for a fish, a rock when he asks for bread. So right now, I'm your child. I am asking, bam, that's a prayer. That's a prayer in line with God's promises. Uh, every Sunday morning, nine o'clock, we gather our team members together and we pray. We pray for you. We pray for our kids. We pray for guests. Pray for God's spirit to be present and strong and real. And, uh, and we kind of, it's not, it's not highly formal. We kind of, whoever wants to pray can pray and we just kind of take it in turns in a sense. And, uh, you know, I'll, oftentimes I'll sort of kick things off. Maybe one of a, another team member will pray and then another team member will pray. And then it'll happen. We, we pray for 10 minutes. But I try to kind of cue things up so Louis prays last. Like, say, she starts praying at 9.09. Because what happens is, as soon as Louis prayed, no one else wants to follow her. I call her the prayerinator because once she's prayed, that's it. It's the end of the prayer meeting. It's, it's, a, it's a deal break. It's game over. Like, and I hear our team members say, oh, flipping heck. I heard Louis pray. I wasn't going to follow that one up. No way. And, uh, and people, you know, and because when you hear Louis pray, Louis just gets in God's face and reminds him about stuff that he's already promised. And she claims it for us. She claims it for you. She claims it for Elevate. And it's like, it's like sitting, you know, someone just rattling off scripture after scripture after scripture from memory and reminding God, this is what you say in your word. This is what you say in your word. This is what you say in your word. But that's actually what she is doing. That's actually what she does do. But what some of the people that are intimidated, and I'm not putting them down, this is actually my response to them is, is be inspired because let me give you a, a sneak peek behind the curtain. Louis has stayed up late into the night for years 
with her Bible in one hand and her, her notebook or her journal in the other. And she has just memorized scripture. She has prayed from God's word. And she's buried that, buried that, deposited that deep in her heart, deep in her spirit, deep in her memory. And so that when she prays, she doesn't pray something out here. She prays, bam, straight from God's promises. God, you have already promised this. It's an incredible lesson. And when we go and pray our own personal preferences, God doesn't answer them. That can actually erode our faith. Another thing that can erode our faith is trying things that don't work. You know, things that we actually feel and as best we can can determine and maybe we've got some kind of bounce around with some wise, uh, uh, trusted friends. We feel, yeah, this is something I'm meant to do, a step of faith. And And we take that step of faith and sometimes we just don't make it to the other side. We fall flat on our faces, splat in the middle. And uh, that leaves us disappointed. It leaves us deflated and it leaves us less desirous to step out again. I think if we took a little poll, many of us would have actually had this experience happen in our lives. I don't have any simple answers. I promised you at the beginning of this series that I wasn't going to give you 20 cent answers to million dollar questions. I read this uh, this week from Bill Johnson, though, I just think this is a great, just a great perspective. It may not be the ultimate simple solution, but a great perspective. Bill simply said this, the most simple way to stay encouraged is to feed your heart on what God is doing, not on what he hasn't done. And if you can't see what he's doing, feed on what he's done in the past. Another thing that erodes our faith is, is our circle. The company you keep. If, if, you, if, if, if your closest sphere of influence are people who are negative, pessimistic, faithless, e or the sky is falling on my head 24-7 people, that will get into you. And you might think, oh no, I'm going to rise above it. I'm going to be the one. I'm going to be the influencer and they're going to be the influencees. Well, just make sure that's actually how it's working. But, but oftentimes, things get in under, under, our, under, under the radar. And, uh, and there's actually going to be some relationships you're going to need to actually pull back from or withdraw from entirely, if only for a season, because that person or those people are actually eroding your faith and instead repositioning yourself around faith-filled people, people that are believing, trusting, pursuing God for, for, and, and, and actually believing that with all things, sorry, that all things are possible with God, not some things. These are faith eroders. Let me switch gears and move over to things that build our faith. And I want to talk from a story. It's a story we actually drilled down into during our miracle series. And if you didn't catch this, you can go back and listen to our podcast. It's a story... Of a, of a desperate father. And a desperate father appeared in front of Jesus and said, Teacher, I brought my mute son, made speechless by a demon to you. Whenever the demon seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and goes stiff as a board. And I told your disciples, hoping they could deliver him, but they couldn't. And Jesus said, Bring the boy here. 
And they brought him. When the demon saw Jesus, it threw the boy into a seizure, causing him to writhe on the ground and foam at the mouth. He asked the boy's father, how long has this been going on? Ever since he was a little boy. Many times it pitches him into the fire or the river to do away with him. If you can do anything, do it. Have a heart and help us. Now, those of you that are wives and mothers, you know there's only two things worse than you being sick. One is your husband being sick. Having the dreaded man flu. Man flu is uh, such a misunderstood thing among the female of the species that in Scotland there's actually an information line that men can call if you don't feel like you're getting enough sympathy for your life-threatening man flu. If you happen to pull through despite your wife's lack of sympathy and survive man flu, you can actually go onto this website here and print yourself off a certificate to... uh, to let the world know that you survived man flu. And if that's not enough, and you want to join me, join the revolution, be part of the movement to raise the awareness of this disease, you can actually go on and buy one of these hoodies and wear that. Yep. So wives, you know that one of the things that worse than you being sick is your husband being sick, because yes, we are absolutely horrible at being sick. We're actually very good at it. But not from your point of view. But why, you know, the, the, look, parents, you know this. The, the, the worst thing than, than you being sick is one of your kids being sick. And, and, and not only that, one of your kids being sick and you actually don't know what's wrong. You and the medical fraternity haven't been able to find a cure and actually seeing an ongoing, life-threatening, acute illness, sickness, disease in your child, probably you don't know because I, I, I know many of your stories and, and, and you haven't even experienced this. Your child being possessed by a demon that, that throws him into a fire or tries to drown him in the river. Um, and Mark, the writer of this story, he doesn't actually record how long exactly this had been going on for, but he did say that the father's response was to talk about his son saying ever since he was a little boy up till now. So it's possible that it was sort of like pre-primary, primary through to maybe kind of teenage years. The point is it was, it was a while, a while that this father had been tormented by the fact that his son was being tormented. And and not only tormented, I mean, thrown into a fire. Drown, trying to, this demon trying to drown him in the river. On a good day, he was only writhing on the ground. On a good day. We don't know. But he brought this boy to Jesus and he said, If you can do anything, do it. And Jesus said, if. There are no ifs among believers. Anything can happen. And no sooner were the words out of his mouth than the father cried. Now this this word cry, it it, it doesn't really translate well. The the, the, the actual word, it was like this. This shriek. This, 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 this. This cry from a father who you know 
He has tried everything. He's tried everything. He, he, and, and it's almost like this is the last roll of the dice. This is the last swing of the bat. I've come to you, Jesus, and, and I've said, if you can do anything, and you don't give me a yes or no, you give me this kind of cryptic, magical, kind of sensei kind of answer, there are no ifs among believers. Anything can happen. You know, it's the, the, the dad just wants a yes. Yes, I can do this. Yes, he will get healed. Jesus is playing mind games with him and he cries. He cries from the absolute pit of his stomach. His entire being erupts. Then I believe. See, Jesus said there are no ifs among believers. He wanted to be counted among the believers. Then I believe. If, if that's what it takes, Jesus, I believe. Help me with my doubts. Now, on the surface, those two sentences by the Father, that, that just it seems a little bit odd. He, he seems to have just contradicted himself. But that's my point right back at the beginning. This Father had a measure of faith. But he was all of a sudden aware that he needed and wanted an even greater measure of faith. So he said to Jesus, I believe. And by the way, he demonstrated that he had a measure of faith by bringing the child to Jesus in the first place. I, I, I believe to the extent that I, 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 I'm hoping this won't be a complete waste of my time. He, he had a measure of faith. I believe. But help me with my doubts. Help, help my faith grow. Give me a greater measure of faith that I may be counted among these believers that you say there are no ifs among believers. Anything can happen. And I look at this father and I, and I think there's two incredibly instructive principles. And, and these aren't... It's very, very rare that I'm going to teach you keys and steps and... You know, five simple answers to having every prayer you ever prayed answered. I just, I just don't, I just don't see God as being a vending machine where you, if you get, you know, not not a vending machine. I reckon those flipping, flipping ticket things in the multi-story parking facilities in the city. That's a bit more of a one where you, you there's like six steps to get your, your little ticket out. I'm sounding old, aren't I, Neil? And if you get the steps wrong, Sonny, you don't get the tickets. Doesn't bother me. I use a Vespa. I get free parking in the city. But anyway, um, just what I've heard. You know, if we want to see our faith built, it's a great starting point to be honest about your faith. Uh, recently, I, I had a meet up with uh, with a guy that I just been doing some life with, and uh, and I said to I said to him, "Hey, you know, we sat down and ordered our coffee, and I said to him, so how's it going? How's life?" And he said. Do you want me to be honest? Now, he knows me and he was only being tongue-in-cheek because uh, the answer is, of course I want you to be honest. But, but the answer is, of course I want you to be honest because I can't help you if, if you're anything less than honest. You, you need to be 100% honest with me. And if you are 100% honest with me, I can hopefully therefore get a, a better picture of the current landscape and actually add some value there. I love that this father was honest enough to say to Jesus, then I believe. See, if he was Aussie, 
I don't think this is how he would have answered because this is not how us Aussie blokes roll. He goes, you know, says to this guy, mate, you know, if you believe, there's no ifs, you know, I'll get the job done. And us Aussie blokes would have gone, well then, Jesus, <coughs> I believe. Because we're proud. I love that this guy said, yeah, I believe. I've got a measure of faith. But Jesus, you know, I'll do whatever it takes to, to, to see my son well. But I've only been able to get to this place with my faith. I need you to actually help. I need you to help grow the rest of my faith. He was honest about that. I love that. It's one of the funny, almost absurd things about people trying to hide things from God. It's kind of, it's just, it's just, I find it amusing. Have you ever tried to hide something from God? Do, do, do you ever consider that might be a bit futile? <laughs> One of the God, things that God describes himself as is being omniscient. It uh, translates as all-knowing. So kind of trying to play hide-and-seek with God. <coughs> you won't win that game. You'd just be wasting time and energy. But we do. And, uh, and this goes right back to right back to the beginning of creation. Just after Adam and Eve had sinned against God. Up to that point, there was no shame. They were naked and felt no shame. In other words, there was absolutely no barriers between them and God. And then they sinned and then they felt the need to put some clothes on, to put some dacks on. And, and to this day, because we're still scarred with original sin... We can, we can shift our default response to this idea of trying to hide stuff from God. But you know what? With Jesus dying in our place, there's no separation. There's no shame again. And, 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 and I'm telling you this to remind you and encourage all of us that at all times, not only should we be honest with God, but we can be honest with God. This father was honest with Jesus. And uh, <clears throat> instead of Jesus judging him, ah, you've only got a measure of faith, mate. Well, sucked in. Jesus, he worked with that. He actually healed the boy. He worked with, start by being honest. I would rather we be a church as elevate of people who are honest with where our faith is at and where it still needs to get to than to be a church that pretends that we've already arrived. Absolutely zero interest in leading a group of people who think they've already arrived. None of us have already arrived. None of us will ever arrive until we actually arrive face-to-face -face with God. Between now and then, we have a measure of faith, but we've got the opportunity to increase that measure of faith. So we need to be honest about that. And then the starting point, use the faith you do have. The father, he, I have some faith. I do believe, but I've got some growing to do. I've got some areas for growth. You know, if you're thinking about getting a bit jacked, getting a bit buff, being a bit like Dave, uh, you think, well, I'm going to go join the gym. You know, I'm going to go and lift heavy things. And, uh, 
what, you, what, what we don't do, what, 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 what we don't need to do is, is go and buy a set of barbells and dumbbells in a, in a weights bench for home and spend 12 months lifting heavy things at home to then go and join the gym. And oh, now I'm ready to join the gym. The, the idea is go to the gym, take your tuck shop lady arms or whatever it happens to be that you think needs work. I'm talking to the boys here, by the way. Um, yeah, of course. For all of you listening to the podcast, that's Liz Hood. If you ever meet her in public, show the utmost respect. You go to the gym with what you've got and you work from that as the starting point. And it's quite okay. Jesus doesn't ask us to give him what we don't have. He simply asks us to give him what we do have. And from that, God is a God of increase. God is a God of increase and he can start to ratchet things up by us presenting him with what we do have. Pete didn't know this was, was, was what I was preaching about. He didn't know that this uh, was one of the points. And, and my illustration to reinforce this idea of starting where you do have, one of the easiest ways for me to quantify this is actually in the area of giving and, fi- and, fi- and finances. The principle in the Bible, we call it the first 10%, okay? It, it's other way. It's not a law, and I'm not going to get into this in too much detail. It's a principle. It's a principle that's run through right from very, very, very early in the Bible, right through to, to, to today. And it's sometimes called the principle of the harvest. It's sometimes called the principle of first fruits. Uh, we talk about it just uh, and use the term first 10%. And we say that the first 10% is both a goal and a minimum. And the reason why this idea is, is so easy to kind of use as an example for this is you might only have the faith right now to give God 3% of your, of your income. And you know what? If that's where your faith's at, if your faith is at only having the faith to, to give him 3%, you know what I want to say to you? Then give 3%. Say, God, this is my current level of faith. I only have the faith for 3%. 10% is a goal and a minimum. Don't stop at 10 but, but I've only got the faith at the moment to give you 3%. But I want to continue my trajectory of faith and continue my trajectory and expression of faith in my financial world to move towards and beyond 10%. I'm going to start with three. And watch what God does with that. But don't, but, but, but don't leave it at that. See, next year or before, God, I want to step that up. I want to take it to 4% or, or 5%. And no one's going to judge you, and God doesn't even judge you. It's about continuing to grow, to be inspired, to see this measure that we have step up to another level. And it doesn't just apply to our finances. It applies to every area of our lives, which is wheeling right back to the beginning, is why I made the point that faith isn't a simple yes or no. Do I have it? Don't I have it? Nor is it simply, do I have a measure of it? And what measure do I have? It's also within different aspects of our lives, we're going to have a different measure. For some of you, the idea of giving your first 10% is a breeze. You're giving 10, 15, 20, 25%. No problem. 
That might not be the thing. That might be where your faith is at its highest, which is great. Don't, don't let it shrink back. You might need to focus your journey a bit more on some other things. Jesus, I've only got this level of faith in my relational world. I need you to help me bridge further. I've only got this amount of faith in my physical health. I need you. I've only got this amount of faith that I can get through my university studies. I've only got this amount of faith that, that I can get a job. Whatever it is, or more than one thing, understand. Sorry, someone's sending me emails while I'm preaching. Shame on you. <clears throat> I want to do two things. I want to pray. I actually want to pray for people who uh, need a job or need a different job. Um, and I know a couple of you specifically, but there might be some more. Uh, before we do that, I want to pray for those of you that have never actually made a decision to make Jesus your Lord. And I want to give you that opportunity right here and now. That's actually where your faith needs to step up. And we want to give you that opportunity this morning to, to take that step, to say, Jesus, I want to actually be in a relationship with you. I want to follow you. I want to make you my Lord. I want to give my life to you. If you never made that decision before, you can make that decision right here, right now. And I would strongly encourage you to do that. All I want you to do, if you, if you know that's you this morning, that's your decision, your step of faith, just put your hand up. When I see your hand, you can put it down. And then we're going to pray. So I'm just going to look across our auditorium a couple of times. For those of you that have never made the decision to make Jesus your Lord, just slip your hand up. And when I see your hand, you can put it down. I want to miss anybody. This could be your step of faith this morning. Faith to put your trust in Jesus. Just put your hand up and you can put it down. Okay. A couple of years ago, I really felt God to God speak to me to, to, for us to commit to being a no unemployment zone as a church. To, to, and I know, I know at least one person, but there could be more who are currently out of work or you're in a situation where you need to switch jobs. I'm, I'm more interested in praying for those of you that are out of work, but I, I'm not... I'm happy to include you if you're wanting to make some shifts as well. Um, I'm going to pray for you right now. You know who you are. God knows who you are, so I'm not going to get you to stand up and sing and dance, but I'm going to pray for you right now. There's one particular person. I've been tracking with them a little bit during the week, just text messages back and forth, and, and uh, I'll let you know this. There's, there's two markets there's two economies. There's two realities. One is the one you read in the newspaper every day. The other one's what God says. And uh, God doesn't deny the reality, but he can actually work above that. He can work in spite of that. He can work beyond that. And uh, if you're looking for a job, let the confession of your mouth be God's favor. Do you understand? Make that the confession of your mouth. I don't care if there's 500 other applicants. I have the favor of God when I go for this interview. I, have the, I, don't, if I don't care if there's 200 other resumes going in. I declare the favor of God because God does promise favor. When you're praying for God's favor, you're not 
praying for your personal preferences. You're praying and reminding him of his promises. 400 other applicants, God, I'm going to stand head and shoulders above every single one of them because I'm going into this with your favor. Let that be the confession of your mouth. Speak words of faith. Pray. Get people around you praying. I'm going to pray for you right now, but don't let it just be this one thing, one time, one off. Father, we have declared this and we continue to declare, Elevate Church, a no unemployment zone, Lord. That we are people who, as we obey you, as we trust you, as we follow you, as we, as we intimately pursue you, Lord, that we walk in step with you and we walk with your favor, Lord. Those of us here that are looking for jobs, God, I declare your favor over them. I declare that you will protect, your protection will follow them as a shield that you would actually cause them to rise head and shoulders above the other people in that world. Is that fair? No, that's your favor, Lord. And we trust that you will bring favor. You will bring the right people, the right jobs, the right opportunities to, to the, across the path of those here who need those jobs, Lord. And that we will have great stories of answered prayer. People who want to contribute, In Jesus' name, amen. Great, guys. All right, fantastic. So, yes, the coffee. As if I was going to... Was that you, Charlie? Makefai. Um, this morning's coffee is a very uh, rare, seasonal, small batch called Peruvian Grace. Even the name tastes delicious. And uh, this is only, it's only available a couple of months of the year. So we've bought up big. And uh, I can say that it is a hint of caramel, a touch nutty. Jordan, you better, you better be tasting this when you, because you think of yourself as being a bit of a connoisseur, mate. All right. It's not just good, bad. No, they're at, like gymnastics, mate, like gymnastics. All right. Score it like gymnastics. We'll set up a whole scoring system going on. We'll teach you about that next week. Anyway, enjoy some coffee. Make sure you say hi to someone you don't know.